We Are DB. I'm Danielle, joined as always by Brenton. Good morning, everyone. Unless it's not morning where you are. In that case, <laughs> afternoon, evening, or whatever. Um, thanks for joining us. And the night. Thanks for joining us for our honorable mention this month as we take the opportunity to talk about a great film that just missed out on being on the IMDb's list of the best movies of all time. This month, rated at 7.7 on the Internet Movie Database by millions of film lovers from around the world, is Brokeback Mountain. Released in 2005, starring Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal as the two leads, Brokeback Mountain is a cowboy drama set in the U.S. state of Wyoming, opening in 1963. It's based on the 1997 short story of the same name by Annie Proulx, and the film is written for the screen by Pulitzer Prize-winning novelist Larry McMurdy and Oscar winner Diana Osana, and it's directed by Ang Lee. It's quite the... uh crew that worked on this hey yeah hey can i just go back to the pronunciation of jake gyllenhaal yes i've always heard his sister maggie gyllenhaal but him as jake gyllenhaal it's like you either you do the one or the other like they don't have different last names i'm not really sure how to pronounce his name specifically i think it is gyllenhaal i think it's gyllenhaal because it's like g for green like guh and j for jane yeah juh I don't know. <laughs> well, and like you said, I've always heard it Maggie Gyllenhaal, so Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, so I'd say Gyllenhaal. Immediately sidetracked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know how to start talking about this movie. Did you enjoy it? I did. This was a difficult movie for me to watch in the same way that A Star is Born was a difficult movie for me to watch. Not because it was a bad movie or because I, there was anything wrong with it, but just because I can be a very emotional person and seeing seeing relationships portrayed in the way that those movies do, where they're really, really strong relationships that cause a lot of longing and heartache, is hard for me to watch personally. So this was a tough one for me. We had to take a couple of breaks Overall, though, I, I really did enjoy it, but this is one that's going to... I don't know if I'll be able to watch again for quite a long time. Sorry to start off on a blue note, but... It was an, a more of an emotional response from you as well because it's set in Wyoming and Texas mostly, where there's a lot of rodeo and cowboys going on, and it reminds you of home, you said, because you're from yeah. rural Alberta. And the Calgary Stampede's on at the moment, so... <laughs> yeah, in the same way that the revenant really really tugged at my heartstrings because like that was literally filmed where i'm from this looked a lot like home i'm not from a mountainous area but like you said the culture like jack was a combine salesman like i grew up around a lot of this sort of stuff so yeah it was it was it was emotional and sentimental for me on quite a few different levels you know yeah that's fair enough yeah and I don't think it's a spoiler at all to say that it, it's a sad relationship drama movie. It's yeah. meant to pull on those heartstrings. And I 
I have a hard time with those anyway. That's just me. What about you? What did you think of this movie? My, I, This is the third time I've seen this. And the first time I watched it, I went into it because when this came out, I'm not sure if it was the same for you, but Brokeback Mountain was kind of a running joke at school as these gay cowboys. So if you, like, you know, stupid kids when we were like 12, um, yeah. if you did something a bit queer or whatever, people would say that you're from Brokeback. Like that was a running joke. Um, because being gay was still a running insult when I was a kid, you know, people are yeah. stupid like that. Um, so when I, I, I didn't really know what to think of it. I hadn't, it was a few years later after it was released when I first watched it and I went into it thinking like, I don't, I don't really know what to expect. I just know that it's like a couple of gay cowboys. That's pretty much where I was coming from as well. But the thing is, I, I went into it thinking they're gay cowboys. And then the first time I watched it, the entire movie, I was convinced that they weren't gay. I'm like, oh, they're just experimenting. Because they had wives, and because they said at the beginning, they're like, I'm not queer. And there's obviously, we'll get into that more as to why they lean into that, but that was my first reaction. I'm like, oh, they're not gay. And then the second time I watched it, a few years after that, I'm like, they're absolutely gay. (laughs) That's absolutely the point. They're gay cowboys. Um, And I... The third time watching this, like, I was excited to, to do this as an honorable mention. I think it should absolutely be in the top 250 because I actually love this movie. I think it's great. And going back to that cowboy culture, this is directed by Ang Lee. He's a Taiwanese director um, who's most notably done, like, he did Life of Pi. He did uh, The Incredible, not The Incredible Hulk. It was just called Hulk. Um, the one just before this. And he did uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is a very good Chinese film. Um, and for him, someone of a Taiwanese background like that, to do a very American cowboy movie this well is quite an accomplishment, I, I think. I was going to say, he did very well. He's, yeah. His most recent movie is Gemini Man with Will Smith. I haven't seen any reviews for it or anything, but I would put Ang Lee as he either makes good movies or great movies. I don't think he's, I've seen a bad movie from him. Like, even Hulk from 2003 with Eric Banner, I think is a good movie. It's as good of a introduction story to that character as you could have got. I think I'd really quite like Ang Lee. Um, and I was trying to think about it. Which countries would actually have that typical cowboy culture? It'd be obviously be the US and Canada and Australia. US, Canada, Australia, maybe Brazil. Maybe Brazil, yeah. Yep. Um, I don't know it. if they have that much in Europe, maybe parts of like France, but not like this. I grew up around rodeo. You know this. Um, I'm from a very small rural town. We were on the pro rodeo circuit, so we would have professional cowboys come in and do the circuit. And so it was the biggest event in our town for the summer. And so obviously, too, Calgary Stampede was a big part of my growing up. It's like we said, it's actually on right now. I'm really bummed because I keep forgetting to stream it. Um, But the point is, You'd get cowboys from all over the world. The vast majority were from the States, Texas, Oklahoma, or Canada. You'd always have a few from, like, France. Yeah, I went to that a couple of years ago, and there was one or two from France. Um, But I'm not sure if it's the same level, because this is set in, like, Texas. That's, like, the height of, like, cowboy culture, you know, where everyone's wearing those big hats. Yeah. I would say, yes, Alberta definitely is for Canada. So I don't think France has it. Like, Texas is fucking bigger than France. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I just think that it's interesting how many countries actually have 
cowboy culture and for yeah. someone from Taiwan like obviously he's he's been set in America for quite a few years now uh but he's done lots of foreign language films uh to be able mm-hmm. to capture that as well as he has it was it was quite an achievement so this was nominated for 8 Oscars it won for best adapted screenplay best director for Ang Lee and best original music score and it was nominated for best actor best supporting actor best picture best supporting actress and cinematography Okay. And can I just say, both of these main leads, Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal, fucking terrific in this. They're so good in this role. I fucking love it. I said to you yesterday when we were watching it, I said, you have to have some damn secure men to play these roles. Yeah. And they they did it really, really well. They They were so well cast for their characters. So, Heath Ledger's character, Ennis, is very, like, that strong, silent type, and he doesn't express himself very much. Like, there's one point in that movie where the two of them are talking not long after they've met each other, and Jake's character, Jack, says, that's the most you've said in two weeks. He's like, that's the most I've said in this past year. You know what I mean? Like, he's just, he's, he doesn't say much, but when he says something, he means it, and then Jack's character is a lot more sensitive um, and emotionally Mm. expressive, you know, not in like a typically flamboyantly gay way, but in a, as much as you probably could be to be a man at that time growing up in that area, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't encouraged to be very sensitive that way. Um, And I just thought that they were very well cast to play each of those roles. They played them very well and very convincingly and organically, I thought. Yeah, they were very different characters. I think this is Mm. definitely one of the first instances that I've seen of the really manly gay man. Because usually in these... I haven't seen a lot of homosexual movies. There's obviously a ton out there. I think Pride Month was last month, so there was everyone was talking about all these these good movies that you should go watch Mm. for it. Um, And very few of them had that really... Like, there's a cowboy gay man from the 60s and 70s. Like, they're they're hard, you know? I'm trying to think of other movies that I've seen. Um, There's The Imitation Game with Benedict Cumberbatch. There's uh, The Danish Girl with um, Eddie Redmayne. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, they're drag queens. Like, they're not very manly men. Um, those are yeah. very different. Like, those four movies that we've just mentioned, very different type of gay man. But this is, like, it's, this is another level that I haven't really seen. Well, and you have to remember, too. Because I, I thought back to this and I calculated. I'm like, okay, how old was my grandpa when this was set? So, in 63, he would have been 18. And I think that means my, my uncle probably would have been around that age, too. And my uncle was gay. He was a doctor, and he was gay at this time. And at this time, it was still illegal in Canada to be gay. And I don't know that they they abolished that in the U.S. at the same time as Canada. So you have to remember I think that, they did it in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. So you have to remember that not only was it socially frowned upon and also dangerous, like, like they show in this movie people being killed for being gay... Um, you could also go to jail. So there was yes. that very real fear of it. And also that you just had to be careful of how you expressed it. So you couldn't you couldn't let anyone tell. You know what I mean? You couldn't let anyone know. And they, they have a discussion where it's like, do you ever feel like everybody is looking at you and they know? 
You know what I mean? Mm. And I feel like that was a very real concern. And so the fact that they both got married, like my uncle got married and then he got divorced and then he had his partner. When did he get married? When he was in his 20s. He had two daughters. Yeah. He had two daughters and he was a very successful doctor. And then he got divorced. To a female, obviously. Yes. Um, Okay. So you're saying that they couldn't be more flamboyant versions of themselves in this time because it was illegal and frowned upon? I think so. See, I relate that back to, say, the Danish Girl, which was based in the 20s, The Imitation Gang, which is based in the 40s, Liberace with um, uh, Michael Douglas and uh, Beyond the Candelabra, I think it is, with Matt Damon as well. That's based in, like, the 70s, I think it is. All very flamboyant gay men. So I'm just thinking, like, just because it's in the time doesn't mean you can't do a movie that way. Um, that's not what this was about. No, exactly. And what I was trying to get from that story is that he wasn't super obviously gay. You know what I mean? And that, yeah. like, Ennis's character wasn't super obviously gay. I don't think either of them was super obviously gay. I'd like to talk about that a little bit more. Because okay. I was sitting here and I was watching this and I'm like, I think Jack's character was definitely gay. I think Ennis's character is bisexual. Interesting. Maybe this is why I had the confusion as to like, oh, they're not gay when I first watched it. (laughs) Because you see Jack, there's a scene where he's at the bar and he's talking to, I don't know what you'd call them. I don't know if he was the rodeo clown or the bull fighter. Yeah, the the rodeo clown. Yeah. And he's coming on to him there and the guy just, you know, gives him a look because he can kind of tell. And then he goes to Mexico to get a male prostitute. And then he's also later on in the movie talking about potentially having a relationship with a different man. Um, I think he's gay. You also see because, and I don't mean to stereotype, but he is the more sensitive of the two. That's just his personality. I just think that he had different needs. So I think they were both gay. But um, like you said, Ennis is the strong type. And he, they definitely longed for each other, but Jack wanted it more. The reason I think Ennis, so Heath Ledger's character, was bisexual is because of the way he interacts with women in this film as well. You see that, um, I see... You see tendencies. Yes. I see tendencies towards both sexes, whereas it with Jack, I see tendencies more toward the one sex. Yeah, okay. There's no doubt that they absolutely loved each other and wanted to be together, but I just see the way that Ennis interacted with women, it looked like he was just as interested in women as he was in men. Mm, I don't know about that. I didn't think that he was that interested in women. Like, he obviously loved his wife, but probably not the way that she loved him. But um, I don't think it was to the level that he liked Jack. Yeah, but I could see sexual... Okay. Sexually, because we both know that there's there are two facets to so having a sexual orientation. There's the romantic part and there's the sexual part. I think something that a lot of people don't actually realize or that people need to remember is that there's two facets to being attracted to somebody. There's the romantic part, the way you feel about them, and there's the sexual part, the actual physiological attraction. So you can be heteroromantic attracted to someone of the opposite sex, but you can be bisexual, uh, sexually attracted to both sexes. Yes. Yeah. And people get that confused quite a bit. Like, they don't realize that there's a difference between 
you what you're sexually attracted to and you're like relationship attracted to. Yeah. Sort of thing. There's actually quite a lot of actors in this that were pretty young and small time at, at the time and they went on to like great careers. I didn't realize Anne Hathaway was in this. Yeah, she would have been like 23. They're all like like Heath Ledger went on to win an Oscar, Anne Hathaway went on to win an Oscar, Michelle Williams went on to win an Oscar. I think Jake Gyllenhaal's been nominated a few times, but I'm just like, this is quite an incredible cast. Kate Mara's in there. Um, mm-hmm. I would have been really interested to see where Heath Ledger's career would have gone if he hadn't had died. He was 28 when he died, and he was 25 when he did this movie. That's insane. That guy had such potential. Because we've seen where Jake Gyllenhaal's gone. Yeah. Everything I've seen him in, I've loved him in. And I mean everything. I mean 10 Things I Hate About You. I mean A Knight's Tale. I mean... The Dark Knight. Um, Ned Kelly, yeah. you've seen him in. I've loved him in everything I've seen him in. He's been yeah. fantastic in absolutely everything I've seen him in. He's very versatile, so... Yeah, he's got... He didn't sound like himself in this one. No, that's what I was just about to say. Like, he yeah. he does accents in a very particular way. Like, he put on a voice to do the Joker. He put on a voice to do this. And it's not just putting on an American accent. He does the accent and then the voice. Um, and that Which really matches embraces the character. The character. Yes, yeah. it really does. Um, and I, th- I think he was just such a treasure. No, it was really... It's really quite unfortunate. I really agree with you. I think he would have been able to do so many amazing things. I feel like we've spoken about that a little bit more on our episode on The Dark Knight, on episode four, mm. um, because we obviously spoke about him in there. That was his last performance, and he won the Oscar for that one posthumously. I think it's interesting that this movie is set in Wyoming. I think that's a pretty good setting for it, because Wyoming is the least dense US state. So you've got so much vast land of national parks with this natural beauty and there's no one around like even in the cities it's a very low density population state let alone being gay in the 60s i can just the setting adds to the character of the movie the setting itself is like a character um of brokeback mountain you know what i mean you have a sense of it and it gives Mm -hmm. you a sense of how lonely these guys were it adds to it yeah, it's that subconscious layering, isn't it? Yeah, because they're in the middle There's of nothing. nowhere. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention that Michelle Williams, who is playing Ennis's wife, is actually mm-hmm. Heath Ledger's wife at this time. So there was a bit more... I wonder how much easier it would be to have that on-screen chemistry with your actual wife. Yeah. Must have been difficult for her when he died, because they, they hadn't oh. been married for very long. And they had yeah. a daughter. I wonder if one of the kids in this was their daughter. Could have been. I don't really want to go over plot too much. I think we'll just start getting into talking more openly about what actually happens in this movie. So This is your spoiler warning. Yeah. To talk about Elma and Ennis's relationship a little bit. She seemed Elma? to have like Yeah, that was his wife's name. Oh right, Michelle Williams. I d I don't even remember her name. Yeah. Well, it's weird names, Elma and Ennis. Yeah. To talk about that a little bit more so she she saw her husband kissing a man and this is something that i'd imagine being ennis's wife you wouldn't expect it all so it would be so jarring not only to see that because it's not you know socially acceptable but to just know him for the way he is and then see him that way yeah that must have just like really thrown you off 
Yeah, and I think that's the point in the movie where you see their marriage start to break down. It's right from there. She never tells him about it because they seem to get along really very well in the beginning before that happened. You know what I mean? Well, because you couldn't forget it. You would always have that in the back of your mind with everything that you do. You'd be questioning it. And she brings that up later on that she, you know, she always kind of knew. She always was worried when whenever he went away. There was two main things in this that I didn't really want to spoil. And that was the fact that this movie spans over 20 years. And you don't really realize that when you go into it. I, I remember it being a lot shorter when I watched it the first few times. Um, I don't mm. remember it. Like, they aged up the characters really well. Really well. So this spans from 63 to 83. So there's a lot of cutting through time and jumping. And it's like, oh, okay, another four years has passed. Okay, another five years has passed. So it can be a little confusing, but I think it's done in a pretty clever way um, with the passage of time. And I really respect when movies are able to do that. It was a little confusing from time to time. And I just think if you're trying to put in a 20-year relationship into a two-hour movie, into time slots... Mm. Each scene is more valuable because each one has to significantly tell you what's the development of this relationship. Um, Mm -hmm. So it increases the value. Like if there was a movie set within two hours and we had to put it into a two-hour movie, then everything's going to be in and each second is less valuable, if that makes sense. Um, And it's difficult to do that in such a way that's not just pandering to the audience or exposition here and exposition there, which I don't think it was, and and I think it was the best way that it could have been done. Mm. I just think that it must be difficult to even storyboard a movie like this. Well, because you'd have to... It'd be a constant weighing game, you know what I mean? Like, is this as important as, as this? Yes. Yeah. And I don't know how storyboarding usually goes, but I'd imagine you'd almost always end up with more material than you would put into the final cut, which is why you have director's cuts with more footage and stuff. At the very end, it's still weighed up, like, which is the best take to put into the final product and things like that. It would have been just a constant looking at what was the most important and what could go and what could stay. And how often, I'm just thinking about this and the timeline, how often was it that they actually saw each other? In the beginning, well, it was it was four years after when they first met, when they met up yep. again. And then from there, I think it was like once a year. And then I think there was a period where it got more. There was like three times a year. And then it yeah. skipped a little bit. Like it was it was depending. It was over 20 years. So it was, it was a lot of the times sometimes and not very many times other times, if that makes sense. Just depending on what was going on. I yeah. think it was definitely multiple times a year. At a period of time, yes, but yeah. that was a, that only lasted for a couple of years, I think, because okay. the point of this movie is trying to highlight to you that they couldn't have the relationship that they wanted to, and they wanted to be mm-hmm. with each other more often than what they were, even if they were together a lot, because yeah. at its core, this is a really sad story about love and life, because the other main spoiler that I didn't want to spoil for this was... The fact that Jack Twist, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, dies in the end. He gets yeah. beat to death because he's gay. And that happened all the time, particularly in this area and this time. Um, and the very last scene that you see of the movie is Ennis, uh, Heath Ledger. He's remembering back to Brokeback Mountain. The very first time that they met, where they spent... They were supposed to spend the whole summer up on the mountain, and I think they only spent two months 
um, but two months camping with the same person, you would literally create such a lifelong bond there that that's why they keep referring back to it. Like even um, Jack's mother said that Brokeback was his favorite place in the world. And I think that last scene is very powerful because he hasn't really accomplished much with his life. He never really moved on. He never really had a real relationship. He didn't become successful. He was living in a trailer um, seeing mm-hmm. his daughter whenever, and he's just like longing back to this time when he was young, and that's a really sad note. You know, this this highlights yeah. the fact that these people couldn't have the life that they wanted. Like life's way too short to not be able to do whatever you want. And I can understand the context as to why you couldn't do that, but it it's really powerful story of life. As much as I have a really hard time with movies like this, movies that are so accurately portray how messy life is, I really appreciate them. And I think part of the reason why I have such difficulty with them is because for a very long time, I didn't actually realize how messy life was. And I think another main message that this movie is trying to tell is how difficult life was for these men and their wives. Like, can you imagine? Yeah. Do you think that Anne Hathaway's character, Jack's wife, knew? Because, obviously, Michelle Williams' character knew. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you think that she also knew? Here's what I think. I think Michelle Williams' character would have never suspected unless she saw. Yeah. Because I think she was pretty innocent and kind of naive. And also, Ennis, he's quite a strong kind of character. I think... I actually have a suspicion that Anne Hathaway's character did know, and I think her father knew. And I'm wondering, too, if that Thanksgiving scene was a catalyst for him potentially getting some people and tipping them off to go do what they did to Jack. I'm wondering that. Interesting. I think he died several years after that. Okay, so maybe not. Hmm. I think he might have known already. I think he might have had ideas. Oh, and that just pissed him off. Yeah. Okay. Because, like I said, I would have more suspicions of Jack than I ever would have of Ennis. Yes. Yeah, which is probably why it's so much more shocking, like you were saying, for Alma to realize that uh, she's like, I, I don't really know, know this anymore, particularly when she says that she left the note in his tackle box and the lines never touched water. Um, yeah. How hard must that have been to try and raise these kids with someone like this? Particularly at this time, where it's, it's it's just a it's an interesting scenario, and you can't even fathom what these people must have been going through. Yeah, no, for sure. Why do you think Ennis? He was always so much more angry and violent, like even in the little things, like because he couldn't express himself. Yeah, even in Jack trying to hug him, he was always just like standoffish and wanting to hit him, and then. He, he let himself in, but he always had that barrier up. Well, you got to remember, too, he said his dad showed him, really instilled right. in him what, what happened to people like that. I so forgot about when that he scene, was a yeah. little boy, he told the story about when he was a little boy, his dad brought him and his brother to see the body of a man who had been killed because he was gay. And so I think he was kind of more emotionally detached anyway, always would have been, but that made him more scared. Because he was also always more hesitant to ever take the relationship any further. Oh, yeah. And I think it's because... because He even brings that up. That's where he brings up that scene. Yeah, because Jack brings up, you know, we could go have a cabin. 
And that's exactly why he brought it up. He told the story about two men who lived together in a cabin. Well, I think that's what essentially leads to Jack's death, doesn't it? Because he was trying to live with another man, and that's what clued them in, everyone into it and then led to his death. Is that what happened? It might have been, yeah. I thought when she was on the phone to him explaining the death, and I thought she was saying... I don't remember. Um, I thought there was something in there that he was he was trying to live a life. His father said that at the end. Right, yes. When Ennis goes to see his parents, um, his father said, you know, how Jack had always talked about bringing Ennis up there, and then later on in the last couple of years, he talked about bringing some other man up there. Yeah, so his parents knew. I really think his mum knew, yeah. and she was okay with it. I don't think his dad was, but... I think his dad knew, but wasn't okay with it, because he would be old school. Yeah, I think his mum knew and just loved her son for the way yeah. he was. See, I didn't realise until watching it the third time that Anna said when they were leaving Brokeback that I left. I can't believe I left my shirt up there. And then later on you see that Jack took it the whole time. Yeah. I think in, even in that gesture, it shows you how important that moment was at the time of the moment. Because it wasn't something that they looked back upon and said, oh, this was the greatest time of my life, which, which they did. But it was important to them at the moment, which I think yeah. is significant. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, you would construct such a massive bond, especially when you haven't been able to express this side of yourself ever. And then all of a sudden you've yeah. got two months of freedom in the middle of nowhere to do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. The fact that he took that shirt was an interesting token as to what that actually meant to them, and the fact that Ennis took it back shows that he was he wanted to be as emotional or be able to live that life. Um, yeah. And he kept it and respected it, even though he didn't have many possessions by the end of it. I think the shirt was actually a really good motif to put in there. And it was both of their shirts. Did you notice, too, that denim shirt was Jack's shirt, and both of those shirts had the blood on them. Yeah. So... It was kind of a a big metaphor, wasn't it? Those items. So it's one for each of them. Never washed. As a part of in themselves. Years. Yeah. yeah, and it also showed like the struggle they had to go through. The fact that he that he never washed them, which you wouldn't because you you know smell is sentimental and things like that. But um, it was love, but it was struggle. You know what I mean? You had you had the sentimentality, but you had you had the violence too because it was just part of it. And it really shows that they went on to live such different lives as well. Like, one was in Wyoming, one was in Texas, one was poor, one was pretty well off. And Jack never got a divorce, did he? When Ennis did. No. So they had struggles within their relationship both, but I think Ennis struggled a hell of a lot more than Jack did, um, particularly financially and with his kids. The work that they did was very different. And it's just really sad that, like, through this entire 20-year span, you never really were able to fulfill that part of you. And I think that's the the point of the movie. I really quite like this movie. Mm. I do like these character pieces where the the actors like just chew into the character. I really did too. This is like I said, even though it was really hard for me to watch it, I still enjoyed it, and I'm glad that I did. It's one of those important ones, and I want to say too, like you don't see a lot of representation in mainstream media of gay relationships, especially male gay relationships. I think you definitely are in the last five to ten years, definitely. Yeah. Um, It's becoming much more popular. But in 2005, this was still a bit of an interesting topic to try and cover. 
I've always been this way because I can think of one other example of where you see on-screen affection between men. It was some show that was just on TV, but I've always found affection between gay men so incredibly, incredibly touching, and I think it's because they've had to fight so, so, so hard to be able to have that, what other relationships are just naturally, like straight relationships and even lesbian relationships to an extent, are able to have. Mm. So this for me, like, it was just that much more powerful I think even though it's definitely difficult and was a a struggle for lesbian relationships, it was slightly more acceptable, I guess. And I think it was, like, socially acceptable to be lesbian a hell of a lot earlier than it was to be a gay man in a relationship. And people also weren't so suspicious of women living together. It happened a lot. Yeah. Old spinsters, you know what I mean? Yeah. That happened a lot. Whereas two men, hmm... They didn't do that. You know what I mean? So. They also had um, MTV's best kiss for when they finally reunite after four years. Um, They run down the stairs and just like grab each other, push each other against the wall. It's it's a pretty intense kiss. They got the MTV's best kiss for that. Again, you have to be some pretty secure actors to do that. Yeah. And then Heath Ledger's actual wife is watching. (laughs) Like, that's an odd scenario, isn't it? Yeah. So after their first encounter on Brokeback, so it was kind of a hesitant, you know, like it it was a strange thing because it's like you could see that they didn't want it, but they wanted it and then they did it and all that. And then they didn't really talk about it again. They had a very, very brief conversation about it. And I thought, how telling of the differences between men and women. Um, and I asked you, you know, if you were in that situation as a man and you had had another experience with a man. Like I was Jack Twist. Yeah. Would you want to talk about it after? I think that's a particular scenario because they immediately went out to tend to the sheep and they didn't see each other again until the evening. I think mm-hmm. I think that was the same day when they were um, out on the ridge looking at the sheep. Um, mm-hmm. And like you said, they hadn't really spoken at all. Jack had said, I'll see you for supper or whatever, and, and Ennis didn't say a word until that evening, um, which is yep. what you're referring to. Yep. So I don't I don't think it was necessary to actually be like, okay, let's talk about what happened last night because you're going to be out here for weeks with this person. You're going to know and you can read. I, I think they, they knew everything they needed to know without asking. I think, I think that is more... Of a male way of approaching it? Yes, because I think... And I could be wrong, but as a woman, I think women would be more likely to talk about it than men would because women, again, tend to be more emotionally connected to themselves, you know what I mean? But I think in certain scenarios, I would want to talk about it, but that scenario that's depicted in the movie, I wouldn't. I'd do the same thing those characters would because I don't think it's necessary. You're going to be out there for several weeks. um, You're either going to know or you're not. Yeah. You know what the scenario was. I, th- I think that's why they made a move on each other anyway. It just took a bit of alcohol to bring it out on them. Mm. I think every once in a while, a person needs to see a movie that reminds them about how much they love someone. You know what I mean? Like, if you have someone that you really care about, I think every once in a while, you need to... It's good to have a a movie or something like this as a reminder that stirs up all of your emotions again to make you... 
look at that person the same way as you did initially. You know what I mean? I like having those kind of reminders. I think that's because this movie is essentially highlighting what happens if you're not able to be with that person. Yeah. And that's what it shows you. So um, if you took that away from it, then that's because it's trying to show you uh, don't take advantage of your scenarios or um, be appreciative of, of the relationships that you've been in. Well, and that's even why I, I get that way with war movies as well. So World War II and things, I particularly enjoy them, but I still watch them because I think it's important. I think it's important. To appreciate life. Yeah, and to make yourself uncomfortable because you've got to remember that however bad I'm feeling now, it's because I'm reacting to something that isn't real for me. And to be in that situation would be far, far worse. So it kind of it brings out your gratitude again, definitely. Yep. I think this movie had quite a lot of big messages to tell. And I think it deserved yeah. Best Picture. It got nominated, but it got snubbed for um, Crash that year in 2005, which I don't particularly like Crash. It was fine, but it wasn't Best Picture. 2005 was a particularly crappy year for movies. Anyway, so I think it deserved it. This one was also very good with a lot of subliminal stuff, I think. Like, it won for Best Score, didn't it? Yes. I think it definitely deserved that because it was just... It brought out the emotions while sticking yeah, to the tone it was just and the feel. This slow, single-picking acoustic guitar that was so country, it fit so well with the theme, and it was just... It was sad music, and so that music, which you're not actually focusing on, it's going to bring up those messages in the back of your mind, those ideas, those feelings. So I think it just... It's Ang Lee, right? Yes. I think he just did so well on so many levels for putting this together into a complete entity that was really rousing and touching and just really got its point across very, very well on a bunch of different levels. Yeah. There was also a made-for-TV movie remake of this in 2016, and I can't imagine it'd be very good. Like, why remake it 10 years later? Well, what would they take out the sex scenes and the boobs? I don't remember. I haven't, haven't. I just noticed it when I researched it for this. Um, but this is a perfectly fine movie. Like, why remake a, a good movie like this? Um, and I think that this movie has the tendency, particularly with it being pretty big uh, at the Oscars that year, and with the, the actors that are in it, it's like it's such a big cast. I think it has the tendency to be one of those movies that just fall off the wayside and people forget about. In the coming years, um, people yeah. are like, oh, yeah, remember that Brokeback Mountain movie? Or a younger generation would be like, I've never heard of this movie, but I know the actors in it. Um, and that's yeah. a bit of a shame, because I think it's got some good messages to tell, and it's a, it's a good movie. I'd like to see it have a reprisal, because I think, too, at the time that it came out, we were still... And I mean, I'd love to hear what the LGBTQIA plus community has to say about this because I think at the time that it came out we weren't where we are now in terms of acceptance yeah and that's not that long ago love to see it like re-released or something now well an example of that is pride month which I spoke about at the beginning um yeah but people were particularly on instagram because I was following on the we are db film podcast for instagram and looking at other people with their film pages and, and podcast pages a lot of people were featuring 
gay movies, and this one was prominently up there. So it's good to see that things like Pride Month make use of highlighting homosexuality in movies, particularly this one. Um, so that's mm-hmm. good to see. Mm-hmm. It helps, I guess. So I think I think more people should watch it. I just feel like it, it could be one of those ones that are forgotten. Yeah, let's hope not. Go watch it. Let us know what you think. It's It's a hard hitter, but it's very good. Now, next month's Honorable Mention episode will be Planet of the Apes from 1968 with Charlton Heston. I've seen that one actually quite a few times, and I think it deserves to be in the top 250, so I think it just missed out. And it's also sparked a whole lot of sequels and reboots and things, so I think it deserves a discussion, and I think it's very good. When we started picking these Honorable Mentions, Danielle and I said, oh, we need to do this movie, and we need to do that movie. Okay, then we'll do this one. And it just naturally ended up being like, a recent movie and an older movie and then a recent movie and then an older movie um, for the first like six that we picked. So we just thought, hey, that's actually not a bad idea to continue. Um, and when I say old and new, I mean 21st century and 20th century. So a movie that came out in 1999, I would consider an old movie because that was two decades ago. And we've essentially picked the next honorable mentions for like the next year. So with this month's being Brokeback Mountain from 2005, next month's will be Planet of the Apes from 1968. And you can bet the month after that will be a a more recent one, just to give it a bit of variety, because I don't think that it'll be good to focus on either really old or really new. Um, I think there's a lot of titles in there that deserve to be in the top 250, and they're not. So I look forward to that next month. We have been Danielle and Brenton this week. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, check us out on all the socials, and comment on SoundCloud. And until next week, thanks for listening. I don't think her name was Elmar, because their last name was Delmar. It was Elmar. Elmar Delmar. El- Elma Delmar? Yeah, Elma Delmar. <laughs> it's not Elma okay. Delmar. They're not in Australia. Alma Delma. <laughs> I don't know. I just I don't, I don't even remember what her name was. Alma Delmar. There it is. Alma. Alma Delmar. Yeah. It's an odd name. Okay. I didn't even pick up on the character's name. <laughs>